Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special edition of American Prestige. Uh, Derek and I have, of course, been following the news of the collapse of Afghanistan um, very closely, and we wanted to do a quick episode just to give everyone some orientation in what are very confusing uh, times, so what is generally a very confusing political moment. Uh, so, Derek, why don't we just start? What what has actually happened? Why has Afghanistan fallen? What does it mean for Afghanistan? on to have fallen to the Taliban? Uh, well, uh, I mean, those are <laughs> deep questions. Why has Afghanistan fallen is a question that will occupy, will launch countless think pieces in the months and years to come. Uh, um, the The short answer is that the, the Afghan army was, um, uh, well, the Afghan government, really, but the, the military in particular, I guess here, uh, was a house of cards. It was a hollow shell. Um, it was, it, and we knew this, I mean, we've known this, the, the special inspector general for Afghan reconstruction has been saying this over and over again. Um, there was, you know, two years ago, there was a mm -hmm. huge Afghanistan papers, scandalous release of documents by the Washington post that, that basically said everything that the United States has been saying about the capabilities of the Afghan military and about how the war was going was a lie. Uh, so we've known that, that this was a, a, military and a government that would fall apart if the United States left. I don't think anybody Derek, just very quickly, very quickly before we go on to the what actually happened. So yeah. just to, to briefly summarize it, the United States government has essentially been lying about the capacities of the Afghan military to Congress, to the American public. Yeah. To the and it's world. gone over. Right. And it's, it's gone over like a, you know, lead balloon. I mean, we found out as I say, you know, about a year and a half ago, I, I guess, the, the story came out in late 2019 uh, that, that proved conclusively the United States was lying. And we all said, oh, geez, that's that's terrible. And then we just went back to believing the lies, basically. Right. With our 24-hour news cycle, we have, you know, the memories of goldfish. And so everyone quickly forgot about that. But this was predictable for a couple of years. So what has happened? What what literally has just happened? Uh, well, uh, the I mean, the upshot is that, that the Taliban over the course of a couple of weeks now has kept taken the entire country. They controlled about half of the country when all, this all started. They didn't hold any uh, major cities, any provincial capitals. They've taken all of them now. They've, they're in Kabul uh, as of, you know, Sunday, kind of midday. Um, there were Taliban fighters in Kabul. Uh, Ashraf Ghani, the uh, president of Afghanistan, fled the country supposedly to avoid bloodshed. I'm sure it was to avoid his bloodshed at least. Um, and, uh, you know, the Taliban now controls the entire country. They control the capital. Uh, things are in a little bit of a limbo because they haven't um, installed or, or announced their new government yet. Uh, it's probably going to look very similar to the last Taliban-led government. There's a rumor that Abdul Ghani Baradar, the uh, sort of chief negotiator to the extent that the Taliban did any negotiating, uh, will be named president uh, of uh, this new government. Um, you know, and and so that, that part is, you know, going on and, and kind of... Um, a little bit chaotic, but but we know where that's leading. What's really uh, providing or adding to the chaos here is the the status of uh, Western embassies. Uh, a lot of 
governments, including the United States, uh, are, have evacuated their embassies. They've, they've moved their personnel to Kabul airport, um, specifically the military side of Kabul airport, which is secure, the civilian side. There are questions about that. Um, and, and, you know, supposedly they're, they're racing to get people out of the country. It's unclear, um, what the capacity is for that. It's certainly unclear beyond kind of, uh, let's say the United States getting U.S. nationals out. It's unclear what's going to happen to the translators and the, the, the other Afghans who've worked with the, the U.S. military, worked with other U.S. institutions and are at you know, critical threat and should have been evacuated years ago, um, who are now, you know, we're trying to race to get them out of the country right. now after the, the country's already fallen. And, and that's, that's going to be, I think the, the real story that, that should dominate the, the kind of coverage for the next few days. Right. Because I I think our perspective here at American Prestige, or certainly mine at least, is that the best foreign policy in relation to Afghanistan is really a domestic policy organized around accepting refugees. And you see on Twitter something along like the lines of visas would take a long amount of time. I mean, that's a choice of the American government. The American government could essentially allow anyone it wants into this uh, country at any time. It could link it to a jobs program, which is what I think would be humane. But I, I think we're unlikely to see that except in maybe some certain symbolic circumstances. And before we continue, I just want to emphasize the the complete speed of the collapse. Uh, I think you'll hear in the next coming days and coming weeks a lot of comparisons to Vietnam. But uh, the South Vietnamese government fell after about two years. You know, this is an incredibly rapid collapse that just underlines the the ridiculousness of the entire nation-building project that the United States claimed to have embarked upon after the invasion and occupation of Afghanistan in uh, late 2001 and early 2002. So this, and uh, I think uh, w the best one could hope for is that this is the final nail in the coffin of the entire nation-building idea. The United States is just incapable uh, of doing that. Uh, it had lied uh, for years now at this point about the capacities of the nation that it was supposedly building. And we see that with just the total collapse of the um, Afghanistan uh, government, the U.S.-supported, U.S.-backed Afghan government. Have any American officials said anything? It doesn't really seem like there's been a lot of talk from any of uh, much of official Washington. Uh, yeah, I mean, Joe Biden, who, uh, you know, really should be saying something at this point, uh, is supposedly in Camp David. I don't know when he's going to actually speak to the, the country, probably not today. And I would think, uh, you know, maybe tomorrow, but it's probably going to be uh, maybe even later than that. Um, Anthony Blinken, the secretary of state, uh, along the lines of what you just talked about, uh, you know, did the, the morning shows and emphatically rejected comparing this situation to the fall of Saigon, which I would agree with because this is even worse than the fall of Saigon. It is more self-inflicted. Uh, the United States, it's documented the United States could have had a better outcome to this war. In December of 2001, the Taliban offered to surrender Kandahar, which was the last city they held. All they asked for was that their leader at the time, Mullah Omar, be held in house arrest instead of, you know, shipped off to Gitmo or wherever he would have wound up, Abu Ghraib or wherever. I guess that's in Iraq, sorry. Uh, but the, the Bush administration said, no, we're not, we're not interested and embarked us on, you know, another 19 and a half years of going backwards. Every, every step, 
from that point on was a step backwards uh, to the point where where we are today with the Taliban back in control of the country. So uh, there was no point like that in Vietnam. There was no point where uh, North Vietnamese offered, offered to surrender and the United States said no uh, and extended the conflict. So if anything, this is... For two this, decades. Right. <laughs> this is, this is a, two absurd. Decades. The comparison is absurd. This is far worse and more embarrassing and humiliating uh, than, than Vietnam. So, Derek, as far as I can tell, the only – if we're looking – obviously, like you said, there'll be articles and books uh, examining this tragedy, these these uh, policy choices that have occurred over the past 20 years. A lot of those will be forthcoming. But from my understanding, the only people who, quote, unquote, benefited from the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan have been private military contractors, heroin dealers, and people associated with various powerful factions of the U.S.-backed Afghan government over the years. Is that – Correct? Has anything "quote unquote" good from uh, come out of this, or is it just been you know one misery after another? Um, I, I mean, as it is ending now, I would say um, I, I struggle to even figure out. You know, the the private military contractors certainly, uh, the heroin trade has certainly benefited uh, from the last twenty years. Um, those warlords who were enriched by the United States and, and, you know, have amassed quite a fortune. They've mostly all lost it now. I mean, there were scenes uh, earlier today, a uh, video of Taliban uh, rifling through the mansion, just unspeakably, you know, like decadent mansion of, uh, of uh, Abdul Rashid Dostum, the, the vice president or former vice president, um who was also a militia leader um and was mustering the defense of the city of Mazari Sharif which fell yesterday um was the the first big domino to go this weekend uh and you know it's just like he had just a ridiculous it was just opulent palace that he was living in uh but it's he's lost it now i mean he's he's off in exile uh some of these guys dostum i don't think will because he he really should be on trial at the hague he's a war criminal uh people like who, who? Ashraf, uh, uh, the, abdul the rashid dostum the the militia leader uh he, he uh, ashraf ghani though will probably live very well in exile, having you know mismanaged Afghanistan to the point where uh, the people he's abandoned will suffer for it. Uh, but he'll probably be feted. He'll go to you know all the cocktail parties and and do the lecture circuit and uh, get a uh, have visiting a nice professorship at an yeah, Ivy League somewhere. school. You know he'll get some yeah. sinecure somewhere and he'll he'll live quite well. So that's he's he's benefited certainly. Um, but yeah, I, I I struggle to to think of anybody else beyond that. So has anything in particular uh, characterized Taliban role? Obviously, it's very early and no doubt things will change in the coming months and years as the United States media basically stops giving Afghanistan any coverage, except maybe some few months to, to titillate uh, their readers through some sort of, you know, disaster uh, pornography. But I was wondering um, if you could describe how the Taliban has governed so far. Has there any, been anything surprising? Is it just business as usual? What's been going on? I mean, we only get you only get dribs and drabs out of the places that they had conquered previously in terms of how they're administering. It seems like business as usual. The, the Taliban's made a lot of promises as we've gotten closer and closer to this point that, hey, we're not the old Taliban. We're not going to rule the same way. We're not going to be, uh, you know, we're not going to suppress women. We're not going to, you know, do, uh, you know, mistreat uh, at risk populations. There's no evidence that they've actually 
governed that way in the territories they've held, there's every reason to think that they've uh, there's, you know, every report that's come out has been, uh, you know, they're treating women badly. They're they're, you know, governing in a very repressive style. Uh, and that's likely, you know, what will happen again now. There are some diplomatic considerations for the Taliban if they want to take over Afghanistan and they want to have a no problems uh, kind of relationship with their neighbors. They have to be careful about how they treat uh, the Hazara, the the large Shia minority uh, group, because because they could wind up, you know, uh, antagonizing Iran. Uh, they have so they have to they have some you know considerations that uh, I don't think necessarily entered into the equation in the 1990s that that uh, they may try to do differently this time around but uh, that that kind of thing is is much too early to to talk about so uh when you when we're thinking of let's say another moment when there was a, a islamic revolution in a society one thinks necessarily of iran and after iran there was a large diaspora of a population are we likely to see something along those lines in afghanistan um you know going throughout central asia going to europe going to the united states are we basically allowed uh, about to see a, a large proportion of the population or a significant portion of let's say the major cities uh getting uh expelled or being forced into exile i mean to some degree we've already seen it there there are there have been a there's been a wave of refugees mostly going through iran and then into turkey um which is causing some problems in turkey which is already overwhelmed with syrian refugees um so yes i mean that's already starting that's already been happening so i think it will uh continue to happen and and what will continue uh, likewise, will be you know the United States, the UK, the governments of the West that um, pretend to care so much about the Afghan people will continue to sort of uh, hold these refugees at arm's length and try to force them into uh, substandard living situations in places like Turkey or you know other countries in the region. I don't know about Central Asia; the the borders there are closed. The Afghan, I mean, you know, the Taliban now controls a lot of the the borders, so these are going to be uh, it's going to be more difficult for people to get out, but I, I think it will still happen. So let's talk just for a second about regional politics. Have Pakistan or China or Iran made any official statements about what's happening, or have they been mostly keeping it close to the vest? I haven't seen any official statements. I've only seen, you know, sort of, you know, the lamentations of uh, of Western leaders uh, about what's happening. I haven't seen anything from um, regional governments. I would think the Pakistanis will probably, you know, stick to platitudes because, uh, you know, they, they've supported the Taliban quite a bit. And, and, uh, we've talked about it on this show. It's, it's overstated, but it's still there. And I don't think that, uh, they would necessarily want to say anything that could be construed as gloating at this point. Um, everybody else, I mean, everybody else is hoping to have, it seems like hoping to have a, a relationship with this, government, uh, you know, if for no other reason than to, to keep some stability uh, in the region. So you've seen, you know, China hosting uh, Taliban diplomatic missions. The Taliban have a relationship with Iran. They have a relationship with Russia. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't think anybody's going to going to take a hard stance against them. Uh, but I haven't seen any sort of congratulatory things either. And that's probably uh, to be expected as well. 
So let's close out here thinking about the United States. Um, I think it was a few days ago where there was the announcement that Biden was going to send 5,000 more troops. Um, are they on their way? Are they going to be parachuted in? Or is that <laughs> is that is that not going to happen any longer? One imagines. If, uh, I, I have been trying to piece this together. Some of them were already deployed. Some of them are uh, were on their way and were kind of hurried up to get in there. Um, as far as I know, they're still... Uh, either coming or already there to organize the the departure, the evacuation of the embassy, uh, getting people out who are now stuck at the airport. Um, and, and from what I understand, and this is from you know watching the lousy twenty four hour cable news networks, but from what I understand, the the they still do have control of the military side of of Kabul airport, uh, which is. Called Hamid Karzai Airport. It's not going to be called Hamid Karzai Airport. I, I, very very ironically, um, yeah. <laughs> Karzai he was being a former, former president. president. Yes. Um, so they still supposedly have control over the military side of the airport, and that's where they're kind of moving everybody out. Um, so I would expect those forces to continue. The Taliban, you know, they, they're probably not going to attack any American military forces because. That could provoke something, and uh, right. you know why bother at this? Why point? bother yeah. at this? You're right, you've won. Like why? Why risk antagonizing something? And uh, when the United States is is really, you know, th- there's no way for the United States to to you know kind of re-engage at this point. But if you force the issue, then then you risk something happening, and and there's no reason for them to do that. Uh, let's end on these final two questions. First, what do you think the United States will do, let's say, in the coming days and weeks? And then second and finally, what should this country, if we lived in the in the, in the the best of all possible worlds, what should it do? I, I mean, I think these are related. What it will do is uh, we will talk a lot about Oh, the, the, the women, the Afghan women, the civil society, the, the, we hope that the Taliban doesn't do anything to, to harm these people. And we call on the Taliban to, you know, uh, honor the, the kind of will of the Afghan people and, and, you know, the same sort of platitudes uh, about democracy and freedom and, and justice. Um, we will probably talk about, we'll probably make some threats about possible sanctions, um, possibly, you know, trying to organize an international boycott to not recognize this new government. Um, I don't think that's a very Cuba. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to work. Cause again, you've got at least two major regional powers, China and Russia, who, who want to have a relationship with this government because otherwise, you know, there are security concerns for them. Uh, so I don't know if that's going to work. What what we should be doing is what you said earlier, we should be taking in refugees. That should be the entire focus uh, of the U.S. government for however long it takes uh, to get everybody who's – to start with the first cut of everybody who's worked with the U.S. military, everybody who's worked with a Western media outlet, everybody who's worked in any capacity that puts them at threat for violence, get them out of the country, get them into the United States, stop dicking around here with visa, you know, lingo and, and legalese. Um, and, and then beyond that, there should be a, a, I mean, you know, we should be taking in refugees from all over the place, not just Afghanistan. We yeah. have the capacity for it. We just don't want to. Uh, but certainly here in a conflict, in a situation that we have caused, we should take responsibility for taking people in who are seeking asylum. 
And uh, let's actually end on this one because I saw this going around Twitter. Um, someone posted something that the United States should abide by the quote unquote pottery barn rule, which is if you broke it, you buy it. And that's been used to basically justify the United States staying in Afghanistan forever. Derek, what do you think of that argument? Um, I think this is, I mean, this is the thing that Colin Powell famously said to George W. Bush about, I think, Iraq, that if you break it, you'll you'll own it. Uh, and of course, we did break it. Um, I, I think that it doesn't apply to a situation where we never stop breaking the thing, right? I, I mean, we 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 go in and break Afghanistan, and then we're there for twenty years, breaking it a little more every single day, every single year. We kept breaking it. There's no point at which we allow these countries to actually come back together. We just simply sit there and and prevent them from being repaired and that that's really what happens here well thank you derek uh thank you everyone for listening and we'll get back to our regular programming later in the week